opportunities. There's a lot more women serving in senior roles. Hello and welcome to the Adapting Army podcast. Over this series, I'll be speaking to the movers and shakers who are leading into the future with innovative approaches and groundbreaking technologies that are leading our adaptive army. Today, we'll be exploring how army is increasing retention and attracting skilled personnel through a more flexible approach to serving. I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Rob Curtin, who has been leading a new Army initiative called ServeOn. The ServeOn initiative finds flexible roles for CERCAT 2 members, inactive CERCAT 3 members, and members wishing to leave full-time service. The greater flexibility allows members to spend more time at home or with their families, study or pursue a civilian career, all while continuing to serve. Up to 1,727 members have taken this flexible approach in the last financial year. We're also joined today by a member of the Servon community, Major Martin Newlin, known amongst his peers as Mort. Mort's been able to continue serving while also enjoying the flexibility to be able to run a farm. The program is a great representation of how Army is adapting across all facets of the organisation to meet the challenges of today and prepare for the challenges of tomorrow. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for both coming in and joining us today. Thanks, Cam. It's um, lovely to be here. Thanks for having us, Cam. So, Rob, I'm going to start with you. Can you tell us, and we'll go way back when, why did you originally decide to join the Army? Gee, I wasn't expecting that question, Cam, but um, I grew up in a family that uh, has military roots, which is not uncommon, I think, for many of us that join. I uh, had a great-grandfather uh, on the Western Front as a doctor, and then my grandfather was also um, a member of the military, and then my own father was a member of the reserve. So it was very natural to, to join. Um, but I think, you know, I was at the end of year 12 thinking, what am I going to do? I don't want to be in uh, working behind a desk for the rest of my life. And so it became quite natural to think uh, of the Army as an option. So either that or an elite sportsman would have been, would have been great. <laughs> nice. So you're fourth generation. Yeah, fourth generation Australian military, which, as I said, is not that uncommon. Uh, but, uh, you know, with the way things are today, it, it may become more so. So yeah. who knows? Yeah. yeah. And, Mort, how about you? Yeah, um, very similar. Dad was in Korea. Uh, his father served in the US Marines um, and back a number of generations. I was year 11, had had enough of school and Dad told me I could either continue because the only way I was going to join the Army was if I was an officer or to get a trade. So I joined as a 16-year-old Army apprentice yeah. um, quite a while ago. <laughs> yes. What was your trade? Uh, electrician. Nice. Okay. And, and so, Rob, as you've served through the years, what would you consider to be your career highlight? It's a good question, Cam. I thought about that on the way here today. Uh, you know, you get many, many opportunities. Uh, you get to deploy overseas uh, in, in various conflict zones. Obviously, there's good things and bad things that come out of those kind of deployments. Um, but certainly, they were two highlights, a deployment to East Timor and a deployment to Afghanistan. Working at the Pentagon was a highlight, which is one of my last postings. And uh, and even this job right now is, is a highlight. Uh, I didn't expect to get this particular role, but now that I've done it for a year, I've really enjoyed it. Gee, serving overseas and then at the Pentagon and what you're doing now, um, incredible opportunities. 
Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that we um, always want to make sure that young people, when they're thinking about joining the military, understand that uh, there's an aspect that's choose your own adventure. There's an aspect that they're going <laughs> to, yes. you know, put you on an adventure. But uh, every one of us has had a different career, to be honest. Mm, mm. Maud, how about you? Career highlight? Career highlight. Um, I've been lucky. I've had a really quite an exciting career. So for me, I'd have to say probably the deployments to Afghanistan, doing the reconstruction work, um, and then the last deployment to Afghanistan was doing the um, pulling down all the Australian bases and facilities and, and mm-hmm. being a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, well, the uh, the jobs in Aboriginal communities, delivering infrastructure work, helping other people out. Um, yeah, it's been a career of highlights, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah, and very yeah. personally rewarding, I would imagine, too. Yeah, extremely. Yeah. Yes. And, and so with the highlights also comes challenges. So, Mort, for you, what do you think the most challenging part of your career has been? Has it been one standout moment? I think probably the biggest challenges, um, probably more so recently, is seeing you know, so many good people leaving for industry. Uh, there are so many opportunities now um, with the economy the way it is, particularly with construction, um, we're, we're fighting a, a battle of trying to retain good people. Yeah, yeah. Rob? Look, I think, um, you know, you have a lot of separation from your family, to be honest, yeah. and I think that for many of us that becomes that kind of critical juncture where you decide that uh, you don't want to be separated. So uh, my last deployment was to Afghanistan. I left an eight-week-old baby girl, and I think anyone that has to go through that uh, as a parent uh, really starts thinking about is this the kind of career for me going forward Mm. Um, but you know as you would know many many defence families make enormous sacrifices and I think that's uh, they are always the big challenges in my mind. Yeah and so in our introduction we learned that Serve On is an army retention initiative that started in May in 2022. Rob we're going to dig a little further into that how is Army adapting its approach to talent acquisition, retention and work flexibility? This year in itself, I think, is a, a big year for uh, Army and the ADF more broadly off the back of the Defence Strategic Review, where for the first time we've now got a three-star officer in general, uh, Natasha Fox, whose job is uh, to look at uh, those aspects you've just mentioned from c- cradle to grave uh, And so within the army, uh, we've obviously got career management army that is responsible for all our soldiers and all our officers. And what we've been doing really with Serve On is really trying to make sure that when people, uh, like I said in that example before, decide to leave the military uh, full time, Serve On gives them other options to continue to serve. So no longer necessarily in a full-time capacity, but in a part-time capacity. Yeah. And so we're going to be talking about the total workforce system as well. Can you give us a, a broad explanation of that and that where all that sits in? Yeah, well, to start with, Cam, it's a bit of a mouthful, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> yes. Total workforce system. But what that really means in kind of uh, granular detail is we've got a system now called service categories, and they go from one to seven, and the six that apply to us are CERCAT two to seven. CERCAT 2 really is uh, for those that have left the full-time army and are really only liable to a Governor-General's call-out. And so you don't serve uh, a day in uniform in CERCAT 2. But CERCAT 3, 5 and 7 are ones where we put on a uniform. Uh, CERCAT 7 being the one where you wear a full-time uniform, obviously. And uh, and CERCAT 6 is where you're working still as a full-timer but in a part-time capacity. CERCAT 5 is that traditional reservist that most of us uh, are familiar with. 
And SIRCAT 3 is what we used to call a standby reserve, but we're seeing more and more people access SIRCAT 3 uh, to perform their service. And uh, it's really a great option. And Serve On is very much about trying to get those SIRCAT 3 people back into uniform and working. They know how good it was when they did serve. And so this is really going back out to them and say, hey, look, why don't you have another go? We've got some great jobs out there and please come back. Yeah. And so with all the marketing and communications materials and interactions, have you received much traction? What's the sort of feedback that you're receiving? Yeah, look, we started the campaign in the middle of last year and with SIRCAT 3, we typically do an annual contract, which is on a financial year. And in that financial year just gone, we saw a 27% increase, which is a great number, almost a third of an increase by doing a very deliberate campaign out to SIRCAT 3 members. Yeah. And so, Mort, as the um, strategic review was presented and, you know, it, it gets played out and, uh, you know, all the, all the pieces start to fall into place... What was your view on the way the review looked at this idea of Servon? Uh, it was quite refreshing because having been with the directorate um, for the last two years, seeing it grow from, I think there was about four of us at the start, um, where it was just basically administering our circuit two and three workforce to now where it is uh, today, it was quite quite rewarding and quite quite exciting to see that the strategic review had seen the value in reserve members, um, particularly with what we'd been doing with the Serve On campaign um, and the successes that we've been having, having um, that hopefully it'll it'll build on that success uh, and, and see it as a, you know, it's a viable part of the total workforce. Yeah. And Rob, so we've talked about the, the DSR and what it sets out to do. Um, we've talked about the marketing and messaging uh, to get the messages out there. What does it look like in action as far as Serve On is concerned? Yeah, well, so we have a, a directorate within Career Management Army that very much goes out and targets these individuals. So in action, it's about sitting down, uh, talking to those units that have vacancies and one in five positions within Army is vacant right now. So we, we do have a situation that we need to uh, remedy. And so Servon lets us ad address that by finding out where those vacancies are and basically pitching those vacancies to those CERCAT 3 members that I mentioned earlier. So, you know, we know at the moment that we've got 6,000 members of CERCAT 3 and we know that 3,000 members of those CERCAT, uh, of CERCAT 3 want to serve and we've got about 1,500 currently on contract. So there's more to do, uh, and but you know the the key is really getting those messages out and, and showing those opportunities for people to come and do some service. Yeah, and so basically it assists members to select short stints of work in areas that interest them, which is different to the posting cycle where members are allocated to their positions. What impact does this approach to workforce planning have on each of the individual members? So it's probably starting um, to evolve a little bit. And I think Mort touched on it earlier, where basically people are now looking at it as a viable place to serve. So typically, if you're a traditional reservist, you're a CERCAT 5 member and, uh, and you have a career manager and they help you navigate a career potentially over 20 to 40 years, depending how long you serve for. CERCAT 3, you know, Mort and I like the term gun for hire. We basically bring someone in for a job. They've usually got uh, a particular talent or a skill that we're after and we bring them in. Now, as I said, it's starting to evolve a little bit. And what that means is some people are saying, hey, look, I'm quite happy to be a CERCAT 3 member and choose those jobs that I want to. That may mean that I might not necessarily get the promotion that I thought that I was going to get. It may mean that, uh, you know, there may be one year where I don't get a contract. 
But by and large, it really gives you that geographic stability and it gives you a bit of fun and a bit of choice and a bit of control over your own destiny. Yeah. And so more, are you starting to see these sorts of people come forward more and more now? Yeah, certainly. And, and certainly people that have um, transferred from Circuit 7 uh, got industry experience and then they can bring that industry experience back as well. Uh, and there's so many projects uh, as well as vacant positions within Army at the moment that uh, people are really starting to get a feel for the contingent workforce and get as many, try and get as many people as they can in to sort of plug the gaps for want of a better term. Yeah. And, and so we definitely know that having experience and skill is important in the workforce and that's just broadly across the whole workforce. I'm going to ask for a real example now of someone who has approached you through the marketing and comms, they've come to you, they've said, this is my situation, and then you've aided them to go into a position with their experience that is now helping the Army. One good example would be uh, Lance Corporal Michael Letts, who uh, is a fiery in Sydney. And uh, so certainly Michael, uh, that's his day job. Um, you know, that's his main priority. But when he's not uh, working as a fire, and you know fire is obviously working shifts, he has that ability now to go into a unit and use some of those amazing skills that he's picked up around, you know, workplace health and safety and all the things that fireys do uh, and help Army uh, in their own um, needs to try and address some of those talent shortages. So, so Michael's a good example. Um, another good example would be Defence Force Recruiting. ADF Careers got in touch and they said, hey, look, we need some people to work in a call centre. Can you help? And, of course, we said we'd love to. And what that meant was basically going out to people uh, in each of our state capitals and saying uh, to the contingent workforce, to Circat 3 members, would you like to come and work uh, in a Defence Force recruiting centre, in a call centre kind of environment? And we got a huge response. Uh, and then we placed those individuals. They got some uh, bespoke training. And at the end of the day, they're now doing a great piece of work for uh, Defence and they're getting paid to do it. Yeah. Do, so do you find with Michael, he's then ready to go out and tell other people about his story and about how it's helping in him and how, you know, there's the flexibility is now there? Yeah. Mick was actually one of my trainees sure. when I was a sergeant <laughs> yes. many years ago. Yep. Um, and I'm in reasonably regular contact with him and those guys. Um, and I found that, yeah, the positive experience that Michael's had, um, he has... Uh, quite often spread the word amongst that group. Um, and also what I've found is speaking to, so his um, CERCAT 3 works with School of Military Engineering. What he does is assists them with checking on the trainees that are out with contractors, particularly over his side of the city, which mm -hmm. is hard for um, the staff at, on the western side of Sydney to get out to check on. Sure. Um, they've seen the value in it. And again, they're starting to um, want to see how many more people they can get to assist with them. Because uh, like everywhere else, they've got vacancies, then they've got pressures as well with other courses, etc. that they're running. So yeah. yeah. Okay, so we've learned now how it's set up and the, some of the good news stories and how that's starting to snowball. Rob, what's the risk to Army if this idea of Servon is not adopted? I think, you know, we are almost in a war for talent right now in the sense that uh, unemployment more broadly is very low and so typically that does make it hard to attract people through the front door. Uh, and so, you know, you've got the recruiting side and then you've got the retention side on the, of the ledger. And I think, you know, this is very much about trying to retain uh, really highly trained people. It's incredibly expensive to train our people. But um, 
I think if we don't retain some of these folks, clearly we're going to have to recruit more, but uh, it just creates a hollow organisation. So we are absolutely keen to try and retain as many of these individuals as we can. We also think it's really good for them. So, I mean, that's the other thing that I would say is I left the Permanent Army 10 years ago uh, this month and uh, had a decent break away. But when I came back, which I came back uh, last year, um, it was like putting on an old pair of gloves or an old pair of running shoes, incredibly comfortable, get to work with great people like Mort and his team. And so, you know, why not do it would be my question. Yeah, but it must be new and exciting as well to, to come back and there's, you know, fresh ideas and all the different things that have happened in your time away. It is, it is. I mean, I think, uh, as I said, almost 10 years away is a long time. I was certainly around the defence community in that time. But uh, the uniform had changed. So one of the first things I had to do was go down to the local Q store yes. and get a complete set of uh, new uniforms. The uniform I'm sitting in right now uh, has changed. And right. so that was one of those things. And then you start looking at little policies and you realise that the army I left 10 years ago is not the same army today. It's more diverse. There's a lot more women serving in senior roles. I think it's about 20% of uh, senior roles in, in, in army now are filled by women. So it's not the same army I left 10 years ago. And it's great. And I'd say to anyone that has left in the last five to 10 years, come and have another look. It's mm. a great place to serve. Had the size of the uniform changed? <laughs> look, Cam, that's a pretty sensitive question. I think it's changed a little bit. They, um, they were very gentle with me at the Q store. So uh, I'd first been to that Q store 30 years ago. So coming back uh, 10 years after having a, a break, and uh, going through that whole process again was a bit of an eye-opener. Yeah, but, you know, yeah. the same young people that are at the Defence Academy now that, you know, I served with back uh, many years ago, um, they are incredible. I've had the pleasure this year of sitting on a number of officer selection boards where I get to see uh, young people apply to join us. So it's incredibly rewarding where I'm at the tail end of my career, but these are people coming through the door for the first time and they are high achievers, they're highly motivated, and they want to serve our country and our community, which is a great story. Yeah, it really is. Mort, do you remember the first time that you learned about Servon, the, the first moments and then what went through your mind? Yeah, uh, so I remember, was that 2016, there was total workforce was starting to become a thing, yep. uh, and that was when I was transitioning out of full-time to part-time. Um and it was pretty much, yeah, this is something that's going to happen. No one really knows much about it. And then seeing over the years, it start to morph into where it is now. It's probably, I'd say two years ago is where it really started to take off. Because um, it became a line of effort, didn't it? It did. And then last year um, with Rob's predecessor, it certainly really took off and there was a concerted effort and a, and a dedicated campaign to contacting all of our circat 2 and 3 people particularly, um, finding out who wanted to work and then starting to find how we get them into that work. And those that didn't didn't wish to serve, those, there was quite a number that were unaware that they were still part of part of Army, mm. um, you know, transferring them to CERCAT to either so that they could see their way out, they've done their time, or whether or not, you know, they just, they were in a position where they just needed to take that break um, and not have anything to do with defence for a little while. Uh, mm. And then they can quite easily transfer back to do an actively serving role. So, mm. yeah. And Rob, how about you when you learned about what was happening for the first time? Is there, was there one an exact moment where you think, oh, wow, that was, that's an amazing thing and I'm looking forward to seeing how it might play out? Yeah, I mean, I think the fact, um, as Mort touched on, uh, it comes as a, a, a part of a broader plan. So we had uh, Deputy Chief of Army from a few years ago had the flexible establishment trial. And so I kind of walked into a whole bunch of 
uh, big documents and started reading all these documents. But I think I got excited when I started working uh, with our comms people because, you know, it's about getting that message out and saying, hey, look, uh, we really want you. Uh, we really want you back in uniform. Um, and so as Mort said, some people don't even know they are still part of the system. So there is a massive education piece and I think that probably uh, was something that, you know, a light bulb moment for me is like let's go and educate these people. So one of the things that we've picked up um, is the transition seminars, which is where we actually go back out to people and, and uh, as they are thinking about leaving, we often say to people, do a transition seminar five years before you're thinking of getting out and do one the year you're getting out. And I certainly went down that journey myself. And the fact that we now control that message, that we have a stand there and more often gets up and speaks at the transition seminars and you can see the light bulb goes in on, on people's heads, you know, their eyes light up that, hey, this is not the end of their army story, that they can continue to serve and they can do it, you know, in a way that suits them and suits their lifestyle. So I was excited by those messages. Yeah, let's hear a little bit about those transition seminars. It must be exciting to, you know, first of all, be out in the community and then talking to the people about these sorts of new ideas. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that interaction, speaking to people um, and, and the education, because I've got a bit of a training background as well. So when I transferred from full-time to part-time, I was doing... Um, training and facilitation. So I really enjoy that side of it. And there is a lot of, I guess, a lack of education amongst the workforce on what total workforce is, uh, particularly around CERCAT 3 and 5, and what people can do. Uh, and, and seeing the look on their face when myths are dispelled and, yes. and it gives them some hope that, you know, okay, I don't have to just do Tuesday nights or weekends as it has been before. Yes. Or I can, you know, go to my home location, I can work remotely doing something that I want to do, or there's so many different options for people. Um, we've got people who have, re you know, retired from full-time service who are doing part-time service, travelling the country, working remotely, or travelling to different reserve units, picking up work as they travel. So there's so many different options and being able to get that message across. One, it, it helps the individuals, uh, it gives them a bit of hope. They stay connected, which is good for you know mental health. Uh, and the other thing, it, it helps the organisation because it, it, it still provides that human capability that we need. So let's put you on the ground at one of the uh, seminars. You've you've done you've presented your twenty minute presentation. Now people are starting to approach you person to person. Let's hear about some of the conversations that you're having. What do they say to you when they first approach you? And then how does the conversation play out? Generally, one of the first questions is, what, what is it all about? Mm -hmm. Once they're at the stall, it's quite easy then to have that conversation because most people like having a chat with another person. Sure. Um, and we just explain to them the you know, different options they've got depending on what their circumstances are, what they want to do. Um, you know, there's a number of different options for them uh, and just talk them through that and listen to what they've got to say as well, which a lot of them find, particularly the younger, uh, the younger members find really, uh, you know, quite novel that they're being listened to someone's caring about what they want to do in the future. So we take all that on board and then we put them, you know, this is what would probably be the best path for you and, and put them in touch with the, the people that can help them. So is there one conversation, a real example, where someone has come up to you and you've had that interaction? Uh, yeah, one that really stands out. It was actually in Wagga and it was actually an Air Force member. <laughs> <laughs> Grabbed me literally as I walked out of the room. Yep. Um, she said... She was going to uni, uh, studying teaching. She was a PDI, wanted to do work. RAF couldn't help her out. Could Army do something? Um, and we were able to, through our um, our regional cells, tee up some work with Army doing PDI work in block periods when she had her university breaks. 
And through that conversation, she actually sparked a bit of an interest on once she'd completed a teaching degree, how could she then on either a part-time or a full-time, depending how she felt in a couple of years' time, mm. work for Army as an education officer. Yeah. And so what about conversations with commanding officers? Because it must be new for that cohort as well and, you know, maybe a little bit scary, fear of the unknown. What are some of the conversations you're having at that level? Uh, again, commanding officers are an interesting one. They get so much white noise come in um, that gets filtered out that, you know, if it's not the day-to-day -day operation of the unit, it sort of that focus isn't there. So that's another great thing is being able to take that time in a relaxed environment and have the discussions that, you know, through, particularly through our regional cells, you know, we can find you people um, to try and fill your gaps. And it's not necessarily you know, the gaps that are on paper through CMA. You know, they may have a number of people who can't work for whatever reason or they've had to put people into different efforts, lines of effort. So again, we can assist in getting that that uh, that human capability in for them to, to assist their unit in doing what they're doing. Um, ALTC has been really quite um, forward thinking with the way they do it because they've got a number of vacancies, but there's also a lot of extra regimental jobs that the full-timers have had to pick up. So they've got reservists in to take some of those roles on a part-time basis. So it gives their full-timers a bit of a break to concentrate on their core jobs. So it sounds like they're very much open to it. Yes, they are. Yeah. 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 And are they surprised by the flexibility, both at CO level and also um, reservist level? Yes, very much so. And again, it's it's just that education piece of letting people start. Again, it varies from unit to unit, uh, individual to individual. Some are all over it and are quite comfortable with it. And then there's others where it's a bit of a light bulb moment or they know what they want to happen, but they just didn't know how to make it happen. So being able to put them in touch with our um, our regional cells ha has really assisted them in being able to get the people that they need to assist. Yeah. And Rob, how about some of your interactions, again, at both um, commanding officer level and at reservist level? What are some of the real examples that you've experienced? We've had a, a number of um, organisations that have decided to set up structures, typically in, in almost a task force fashion. So someone has been given a task and they've said, go and do this particular mission. And uh, they'll often reach out uh, to Career Management Army and then uh, the staff there will very quickly uh, drill down and say, the directorate you need to talk to is uh, contingent workforce because they're the ones that have that you know large body of talent uh, that is basically latent in many capacity, in many ways. And so I think, uh, as I said, the big successes we've had around a few different task forces. And then I think, you know, the other thing that tends to happen as we go through the career management cycle is uh, the career managers will fill out their, their particular plot and they'll have everyone uh, locked and loaded for the next year and there'll still be vacancies and, and each uh, CEO will come back and say, well, that position that you've, that, you know, you've left vacant is really important to me. It might be their executive officer or their operations officer. And uh, for whatever reason, we just can't fill it at Career Management Army in that particular year. They'll come across, you know, to the directorate and say, can you have a go at it? And so we'll then go out. And so one of the great success stories is we've got over 100 people from CERCAT 3 uh, that are doing uh, ServOp Charlie, which is a full-time year, which is what I've done this year. I'm a reservist who is doing a full-time year. And that's brilliant that we can go out and for whatever particular personal reason they have, they want a break from their role at a particular agency uh, in the federal public service. And they'll say, hey, look, go and have a year back in, in, in uniform. That, that's kind of a personal story. I can actually go and speak to some of the CEOs and say, hey, look, you've got that particular vacancy there. Let's go and try and find you an OPSO. And that, that is an example where we've gone out and either found an OPSO or an executive officer. 
It's interesting when we look at the stats around uh, those DA26 contracts, the way that CERCAT 3 members, at the moment it's about 50% officers and 50% uh, other ranks. And clearly that's not what the army looks like more broadly. So we need to do a better job of communicating to the soldiers and CO saying, hey, you can fill a lot of your vacancies and let's see that stat more like maybe 70% uh, soldiers and other ranks and 30% officers. But, um, you know, we want to see more and more people serve. And I think the other interesting thing is that if you're a CERCAT 3 member, you can also serve uh, in a CERCAT 5 unit as well. So it's not a case of CERCAT 3 serving with the regular army only. It's absolutely having CERCAT 3s serve with the part-time army as well. Mm. It must be very rewarding when they come to you with that problem and you're able to solve it. We were a directorate that transformed at the back end of last year. We brought those cells across that had been part of the flexible establishment trial and embedded them in, in our directorate. And uh, we've got great people all across the country. We have people in Perth, in, in Adelaide, you know, Sydney, uh, Brisbane, Melbourne, uh, so just and far north Queensland as well. So just having those touch points where you can actually get local solutions. And I think that's probably the most exciting part is a CEO can go to one of their local uh, staff members that, that work in our team uh, and say, can you help me? And then we go out and find a solution. And it's a local solution. It's not something imposed from Canberra. Yeah. Mort, we've heard a number of other people's stories. We're going to zero in on yours now. Um, we know that you run your own farm. So first of all, how big is the farm and what sort of uh, what livestock are you running on it? Uh, yes, yeah, so I've got about 580 acres um, and running cattle and sheep at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, about, about 350 head of sheep and slowly building my cattle back up after yeah. the drought. So on about 35 at the moment. So tell us prior to the total workforce system, what would running a farm have looked like while you were serving? Very difficult, if not impossible. <laughs> yes. Yep. And, and so what are some, what would have been some of the real challenges? Uh, the real challenges, particularly around flexibility um, with, with time to, to do work. So at the moment, um, you know, if I'm mid-lambing, I can guarantee they will never lamb when you want them to. It'll always be at some odd hour, usually in the rain. Um, <laughs> but the ability to go and deal with that, sort that problem out and then go back home log on and do a day's work um, or interrupt that day's work to go back out and check on the stock, whatever it may be. It gives the ability to provide a capability and also, you know, run my own business do yeah. it, doing that, um, yeah. particularly one that's as ad hoc as farming. Yeah. And, and so this is a very real experience as well, as I understand yeah. it. There were some, um, some almost some showstoppers to getting you into the studio to record this podcast. There was, you know, different things happening on the farm that just needed to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it was cattle sales. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, I was able to organise something alter an alternate date. <laughs> yeah, but this is flexibility talking, right? This yeah. is what it's all about. Yeah, and that's the, the fantastic thing. And people have grown more into that flexible mindset. And that's probably one of the big things we try and get across, particularly to commanders at the transition seminars, is to have that flexible mindset that we can get you someone if you're flexible with that mindset on how they produce that work for you they can do that. Mm. Uh, and we live and breathe that every day within the directorate because we've got so many different, but I think nearly everyone is, apart from the bosses, a reservist mm. um, who works flexible hours because we've got other things going on in our lives and, and it allows us to, to do that. And, um, you know, 
not at the you know the expense of one at the you know not doing one at the expense of the other. Sure. Yeah. Yep. And, and so is yours a story that when you you go out into the transition seminars that you tell people as a as a way to demonstrate that this is real? Yeah, I do. And I've I've had a pretty interesting um, part time career as well. So I sort of when I finished full time as a warrant officer class one, um, and then did that for a few more years in the training space. Uh, after that, and then I wanted a bit of a change. Someone suggested I should try selection, officer selection. I thought, why not? Got through my selection board, uh, and I've been posted to APC branch and now uh, the directorate for the last three years. Uh, and it's completely different work. It's extremely rewarding, but I can still tap into what I've done before in my previous experiences as well as what I was doing um, in industry prior, you know, straight after I transferred, which was the, the training um, training side of life. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you have conversations, again, out there with, you know, commanding officers and, and people at other rank, do you talk about the idea that Servon can help them stay connected to the Army? Definitely. I mean, I think... Um you know, I've done a lot of work in the veteran space as well. And I think, you know, people genuinely miss being part of a team. People miss being in a uniform. But uh, the challenge when you first leave the military uh, from a full-time perspective, you absolutely need to dive headfirst into the new career you're having. So uh, it is incredibly important uh, in those first few years that flexibility uh, is available. And so I think uh, similar to my own situation where I had to have a few years just concentrating on that new career, uh, it meant that I didn't come back to the reserves, you know, for probably a bit longer than I would have liked, to be honest. Um, and so, you know, I think what Servon is showing is that we can be flexible. Um, certainly, um, Chief of Personnel's view is, you know, let people serve how they want to serve. So that's incredibly important that we, uh, you know, that are either in the full-time capacity or acting in a full-time capacity like myself, understand that I can't always get more to do what I want right now because he has got that lambing to do or he does have to go to a, a cattle sale. And so I have to take, uh, you know, a step back and say, well, I guess if I can get this job done by the end of the week, you know, no one's going to die. It's all okay. And mm. so there is a maturity that you have to have when you employ reservists and, and you employ members of CERCAT 3 because they're just not on your timeline necessarily. I would imagine that that's going to take some learning in and around, especially the Army things. Uh, it's all, uh, you know, a lot of it is about rank and it's about, you know, issuing orders and about achieving, um, you know, things that need to be done now. So this is a, this is a turnaround. Yeah, it, it's absolutely a paradigm shift. And I think um, as long as people go in there with that mindset, and, you know, it may be that you don't have one mort, you have three morts. So don't try and solve that problem just with one individual. And, and so that's what we would advise. We'd say, hey, look at uh, how you want to solve, you know, the job that you've got to do. And if that means you employ uh, multiple people to cover a particular role, then you do it. And we're now seeing that. We even see it in CERCAT 6 where you might find a couple of people that are concentrating on parenting for a few years and they can just job share. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about people um, that are busy, you give a job to a busy person and they're probably going to do a really good job yes. and get it done quickly. And yeah. we certainly have found that in, in CERCAT 6 where uh, you'll find that those those people that are doing the parenting alongside with their CERCAT 6 time really want to make sure that they do a really great handover to the person they're sharing the job with. The last thing they want to do is, you know, leave some part of the job undone. Mm -hmm. So... 
Yeah. And so, Mort, why for you personally is it important that you continue to serve? For me, it's that connection um, to the organisation. Like, you know, it's been a a huge part of my life since I was 16 years old. Um, And and the mateship, and I've seen mates who have completely separated um, struggle. Uh, And it's, to me, it's about that connection. It's almost like a family, that Mm. family connection to the organisation and particularly the people within it. Yeah. And so... Rob, we've already learned fourth generation military family. I mean, that must play a small part of why it's important for you to continue to serve. Yeah, but I'll pick up on what Mort said, and that is that I've had a few functions where I'm, I'm the class of RMC 96, and uh, we've all just got together straight away and taken a photo at, uh, at Duntroon House because um, they are people that I grew up with. I mean, I joined as an 18-year-old. So slightly older than when I joined, but, you know, fresh out of school and these were people that I went through college with and then done true. And so you go through good times and you go through bad times, um, midlife now. So, you know, some of us are married with kids, some of us are divorced, uh, some of us are no longer here. So, you know, you go through all those things and they're your mates. Yeah. And so what is the class of 96 saying about Serve On? I think the fact that we try and solve um, many of their problems is, is, a, is a great thing for them. So, you know, they're, they're members of the class of 96 that are now two-star generals. So the fact that you can actually be flexible, you know, one of them, the class of 96, is heading up to be the, the one div commander. And so he would be very happy to be able to get more staff on his headquarters, to be flexible in the way that we do that. Another class of 96 is the... Um, commander of the cyber warfare division and she would be very happy with the fact that we can go and get the, that cyber talent and that we can mix some of the cyber talent from organizations like asd and uh organizations like palo alto so they might be working in a civilian capacity in, in defense industry but they put a uniform on and come and work with us so i absolutely think she would endorse what we're doing yeah 100 percent. and so you know working in and around defense industry and and knowing um, the the smarts of people out there in that commercial land, bringing them back in to um, serve the nation must be very appealing. Yeah, I think it's incredibly appealing. And I think that's part of the story that's, you know, yet to be really um, told is how we go out and work a little bit more with industry. You know, certainly I have wanted to pitch more to industry this year. Uh, I know that industry turned up to the Chief of Army Symposium this year and they got to walk around, they got to see our stall that was there and they get to kind of have a look at it. And, you know, it's good for industry and it's good for us because industry has that person put a uniform on, learn the latest and greatest, often do things that you can't do in industry, particularly in the cyber cyber world, Mm -hmm. uh, and then they can go back out and do their industry job. And we learn as well. So we're getting that talent and those new skill sets that they bring from industry and likewise industry is there's a quid pro quo there. Yeah. Yeah. And so more listening to that, that must excite you as well. Yeah, it does certainly. Yeah. Um, as we've said all along, there's so many new opportunities coming up um, and so, so much movement in how reserves are being employed and, and how people are looking at, you know, filling, filling their gaps. Yeah. And so what's the process for um, circuit two and three uh, to, to learn more about ServOn? So we've got some great software out there now. So we use Forcenet as one particular platform and a new uh, platform that has been developed to support ServOn uh, and the flexible establishment trial was OneArmy.Potential. And uh, both those platforms, uh, you can put ads, job ads on there, uh, which is a fantastic way of doing it. Uh, OneArmy.Potential is probably pretty innovative in the sense it does psychometric testing. So you can actually try and... 
uh, check out the skills that you've you've actually picked up while you've been working out in industry or wherever else and see how that might then apply uh, back in army again. So those two platforms are great platforms and uh, and we've just got a big address book. And so we regularly go out to our big address book and say, hey, we've got an opportunity here. Would you like to come back and, and help us? And, and what about people who have departed completely and they're hard to find? Uh, two parts to this question. Ha, ha, have you found some of those people and what are their interactions and their stories? And then, you know, how, how do we make it easier to find those people? Yeah, I reckon I've had possibly up to a dozen folks reach directly into, you know, through their informal network, if you like, and say, hey, they'd like to come back and serve. And so depending how long they've been out, we, we will absolutely push them back to ADF careers and say, hey, you need to go through a, a short process that's a little bit quicker than the normal onboarding process, but you do need to do it. What we will do is we'll certainly advocate on their behalf. We'll certainly have those conversations with them. Um, like I said, they use their networks and that's probably the best advice I could give is use your network. So you've now... You might have some uh, peers that are now, you know, uh, a one-star or a two-star or, or, or you might have a senior warrant officer uh, that you used to serve with as a young digger and you reach into those networks and say, hey, I'd like to come back. And we absolutely love having those people back because we don't have to train them um, from the start. Again, mm. we've, you know, we get them at middle management level. Um, and so, as I said, I've probably got, uh, I would, you know, a few from the class of 96 have got in touch this year and sure. I've tried to help them as much as I can and certainly uh, others. And they've had, you know, a huge amount of experience. I think the other thing to uh, mention, Cam, is the fact that as a reservist, you can serve up to 65. And so whilst compulsory retirement age for, for the regular army is 60, mm. you've got this window to keep serving uh, well into your 60s. Uh, and many, many do. Um, and every now and again, we get a, an application saying, hey, they'd like to go beyond 65. And on a case-by-case basis, we'll look at it. And if the case is there, then we'll approve it. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, leaning back into cyber, if you've got a someone who is, you know, advancing from 65, but they're an absolute expert in that industry, you can't afford to let those people go, can you? No, you can't. I mean, and, and the unicorns are unicorns for a reason. So <laughs> yes. we're, we're competing for that talent and so is every yeah. other organisation. And so... Um, that is a great example. Another good example were folks that do drone racing. So, you know, as the Army kind of gets hold of this new technology, uh, you know, we want to continue to retain the best. And so if someone's a great drone racer and they happen to be in their mid-60s, that's fine. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll look at it and say, hey, can we keep this person? Yeah, and so when you're out on the road, Mort, you're having the conversations with people who are really disconnected but they might think that they, you know, could consider coming back in? As the boss said, the, the networks that you develop over your career, you know, however long or short that may be, tapping into that, because I've had people who, um, you know, I've kept in loose contact with over the years, but, you know, they got out close to 15 years ago. They've got, gained a hell of a lot of industry experience mm -hmm. and are just at that point in their life, kids have left home, you know, they've paid for everything. They want something a bit different. They're not quite comfortable with, you know, the way industry thinks and acts. There's still that, I guess, those diff core defence values there within that they want to do something that's that's helping out. So they've started to make inquiries on how do they, you know, come back in in a reserve capacity to use that experience they've gained, um, particularly with the infrastructure works in the southwest Pacific that, um, that, that Army's delivering at the moment, which is exactly where they're looking at, at getting back into. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, as we begin to wrap this conversation up, I have the same two questions for both of you. Rob, I'll come to you first. What's the, what's the direct message to commanding officers who may be listening to us? 
Look, if you've got vacancies, you know, get in touch. I mean, we have this uh, huge uh, bench, if you like, of people that we can tap into. And it's a bit of a buyer's market in the sense that you've got to sell the job that you've got, right? They don't have to come back and join us. But if uh, you've got a great job and you're a great team and you're a good leader, then uh, you're going to attract those people and you're going to retain those people. So make sure, you know, you tell us a bit about your unit. Make sure you tell us, you know, why people should join your unit, what's going on. It might be some great exercises or you might be cutting edge in robotics or you might be cutting edge in cyber. Get in touch and let's sell those jobs to these individuals because, as I said, it's it's a biased market. Yeah. Mort, how about you? Uh, yeah, I'd say the only thing I could add to that is just have that flexibility in thinking on how you could employ these people. Um, think completely out the box and not just look at the vacancies either. You know, where are your capability gaps, whether that's because you've got people that are injured and can't work, um, whatever it may be, really broaden the way that they think and look at where the gaps are capability-wise and then yeah, get in contact with us. And there's so many different options that, that can help um, fill those gaps for them. Sounds like it's going to be a brave new world for commanding officers in this, in this area. Both smiling, I can confirm here. Uh, Rob, for you, what's the direct message to members who may be in service categories two and three? What would you like to say to them as we wrap things up here? Look, I'd, I'd say, you know, come and have another look. Um, um, you know, there's been a few programs over the year to try and get people to come back and have another look. Um, I certainly have, and I've loved every minute of it. So I would say if you can uh, get in touch, uh, have a look at what's on the web, you know, you can just Google, serve on, mm. and uh, information will come up. Come and have another look, and, and you, we'll help you find a, a gig. Yeah. More? Yeah, just have, have a crack at it. If, if your circumstances are such that, you know, you, you have the capacity to do something, um, just, yeah, being, get in contact and, and have a go and see what it is that you want to do. That I could almost guarantee there would be a job out there um, with the vacancies that, is that we've got yep. um, that would be something you'd enjoy. Uh, so it's not just about getting a posting to somewhere as when you were full-time. It's about finding the job that you want to do uh, and that you're good at because you enjoy doing it and that you can still provide service that way. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, um, that has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and sharing both your experience, uh, your personal stories and your insights. And I can only say good luck with Servon. Thanks, Cam. It's been uh, great to be here today. Thank you. Thanks, Cam. Well, there you have it. And as you've just heard, one in five positions in Army are vacant. Now, if you're not ready to hang up your boots or perhaps you're thinking about dusting them off, Army now has flexible working options. To find a role that suits your lifestyle or if you're looking for talented members to add to your team, head to army.gov.au forward slash serve on. You'll also find more information in our show notes. I'm Cam Sellings. Thank you so much for listening.